0: god we thank you for these words some of the last words of the apostle paul we pray that you would give us wisdom as we reflect upon them as we think about paul's mortality that we would think about our own mortality and how we have lived our life we pray these things in jesus name amen i remember a time when our children were younger and they Uh, really struggled in terms of units of time. For us to say that something was going to happen in a couple of weeks, that didn't mean anything to them. They had no concept of what that was. And so we had to work in units of how many sleeps. So everything was about how many sleeps. So it was how many sleeps until Halloween? How many sleeps until Christmas? How many sleeps until my birthday? How many sleeps until we go to Tim Hortons? Which usually was no sleeps for that one, but... (laughs) That's how we had to do it. So we just kind of got used to it. So we we expected regularly, uh, especially as I would put the children to bed, there would always be a question, uh, how many sleeps until? And I remember there was one night I was putting one of the children to bed, and I heard the usual, how many sleeps? And I had begun to start to tune this out because it was usually the same kind of thing. But one of the children asked, how many sleeps until I die? and I thought oh my goodness I couldn't believe that that this child would ask that I had no concept at their age of my own mortality I never thought about dying at that age. It just wasn't a part of my understanding. I'm I'm sure that it was because I was a pastor and I was at an older church at that time and we had a lot of funerals. There was a lot of people uh, in our congregation who had been passing away. They knew that every once in a while uh, in the middle of the week I would have to put on my suit and they knew that I was going to a funeral home or I was going to the church to, to lead a funeral. So they knew that people were dying and it had gotten into them that they knew that they themselves At some point, we're going to die. And that is something that everyone has to grapple with at some point. Uh, The fact is, every one of us is going to die. That's what unites us. We come from different backgrounds, uh, different countries, different cultures. Uh, We have uh, different experiences. But every single one of us is going to experience death. All of us are going to have that last drive in a car. All of us are going to have that last meal. All of us are going to have that last hug with a loved one. All of us are going to have that last breath. Now, some people deal with that in positive ways. Some people deal with it in negative ways. Uh, Woody Allen is reported to have said that uh, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Good luck with that. The fact is, it's going to happen. Some people uh, really struggle with it. They hold on to life as hard as they can. Others are eager to do it. I remember uh, visiting one lady in a previous church, and uh, she knew that she was near death, but uh, her last times were taking much longer than she expected. And she, she even wanted me to pray that God would uh, take her quickly because she wasn't enjoying being bedridden for those last couple of weeks of her life. We all have different responses when it comes to our own mortality. Uh, The Apostle Paul had to experience this as well. Last week, we looked at 1 Thessalonians and it talked about how uh, Jesus was going to come back and there's going to be a resurrection. And if you look carefully in that passage, it looks like Paul is expecting that he's going to be alive when Jesus comes back. He's not really thinking at that point, which is one of his earlier letters, he's not thinking that he's actually going to experience physical death. He's going to be here when Jesus comes back. But by the time we get to 2 Timothy, which is his last letter, he is realizing that, no, he is going to experience death. He has been arrested. He's on death row. He knows his death is coming, and he's reflecting upon it. And that's what we're going to be taking a look at this morning. All of the letters that we have been reading, First and 2 Timothy, as well as Titus, are what are called the pastoral letters. And they are called the pastoral letters because we see Paul's pastoral heart. He has been mentoring and discipling these two young men, Timothy and Titus. And he has poured his life into them, and he has tried to develop them as leaders. Now, as he is approaching the end of his own life, he wants to get as much teaching into them as possible. He wants to leave them as equipped as he possibly can. And that's why he writes these letters. And he shares his most intimate thoughts with his friend, Timothy. Timothy. And we see in this the progression of Paul's life. Now, Paul had a difficult life. Even in his Christian ministry, he had a difficult life. He went through all kinds of struggles. When you look at the book of Acts and Paul's conversion, you see immediately God warned Paul what his ministry was going to look like. He didn't say he was going to have this incredibly prosperous ministry where he would be the most popular person and people would be uh, paying him uh, tons of money to come and be guest speaker. No, he was told that he was going to struggle. He was going to suffer. He was going to have persecution. He was going to have pain. All of those things were going to happen. And in fact, when you go through his letters, you see that Paul will boast, but he doesn't boast of his achievements. He doesn't go and say, I planted this many churches, or I've done this many uh, uh, speaking engagements, or I've done this. He Rather, he boasts in his suffering. He sees that as being important. What was important to Paul was that he lived a faithful life. That was all that mattered. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he committed himself to remain faithful to Jesus no matter how difficult life would get. Eventually, after years of ministry, of traveling around the Roman Empire, of starting churches, of uh, discipling and mentoring leaders, of writing letters that would ultimately become part of our New Testament, Paul is arrested and he's condemned by the Roman authorities. And this is in the time of the Emperor Nero. And we know from outside uh, um, historical text that Nero was someone who was uh, persecuting Christians. And there's some terrible stories that we can read in secular histories of what he did to Christians. And he was known to punish them. He used them as scapegoats uh, for some of the things that he himself had been doing. And there... Paul is, sitting in his cell, waiting for death to come. If you were in such a situation, what would you be thinking? As you're, you're sitting in this room by yourself, you know that your days are numbered, what are the kind of things that would go through your mind? Well, for Paul, it doesn't seem to be fear of death. Rather, he takes this as a time to look back on his life. Not to go over details of uh, what he had done or accomplishments or anything like that. Nor does he compare. We don't see him saying, well, I'm facing death, but you know, at least I had more impact than Peter, James, and John. Uh, at least I was able to uh, raise this much money uh, for the church in Jerusalem. He doesn't go into details like that. Rather, he focuses on the fact that he remained faithful. And he uses the images of fighting the good fight, of running the race, finishing the race. He remained faithful no matter what. He wasn't in a competition with anyone else. All he had to do was to remain faithful to what Jesus had called him to do. And when he did that, he fought the fight. He finished the race. He did what he was supposed to do. And that gave him peace. Now, Paul didn't just look at the past of what he had gone through in his life, he was also looking to the future. He knew that something was going to happen after his execution. He was going to face Jesus. He was going to face judgment. Now, that might surprise you to think of the Apostle Paul having to face judgment. But judgment wasn't something that filled Paul with fear. He was confident because he was made righteous in Jesus Christ. He was confident because the Jesus that he was going to stand before is the one who is described as a righteous judge. When we think about standing in front of a judge, that might make us want to to shake, to think, oh no, the, the judge is out to get us. The judge is just looking for the opportunity to throw the book at us. That is not the case here. This is the righteous judge, the judge that loves us. But the fact is, Paul still has to face Jesus. He still has to answer for the things that he has done. Not that he has to fear whether he's going to spend uh, eternity with Jesus, but he has to acknowledge what he has done with the resources and the opportunity that Jesus gives him. And Paul looks forward to receiving the crown of righteousness. And the thing that stands out to me in this passage is he doesn't say, I get the crown of righteousness because I am the great Apostle Paul. Rather, he says that I receive it, but not only me. All of those who have longed for the appearing of Jesus. The crown of righteousness are not for the elite Christians, not for the best of the best. Rather, it's for all who have followed Jesus. We all will stand equal with Paul in front of the righteous judge. Now that was Paul's experience. What about us? I'd like to say that it is important for us how we live our life and some people uh, push this they think we shouldn't even be thinking about those things Uh, christian teaching is that we are saved by grace so it doesn't matter how we live but that's not what the bible says yes we are made right with god we are adopted into his family by faith not by how much we achieve but how we live really does matter Just recently, uh, my son and I re-watched the movie Saving Private Ryan, and maybe some of you uh, had seen that movie. If you haven't seen the movie, uh, it takes place during World War II, and uh, and the events are around D-Day. And in it, there's a family and three brothers are all killed at the same time, and there's a fourth brother who's still alive. And the United States government wants to get the fourth brother home because they are, they're sending three letters to this mother saying, your three sons are dead. And they don't want to send a fourth letter. And so they send in a team to try to find this Private Ryan so they can get him out of Normandy and get him back to the United States safe to his mother. And so this team of people, of soldiers, are going and they're looking behind enemy lines trying to find this Private Ryan. And eventually they do find him. But most of that team ends up getting killed in the attempt. And even the captain who's in charge, uh, he's mortally wounded. And he grabs a hold of Private Ryan and he says to him, earn this, earn this. Now, he was rescued not because of anything that he had done himself. He was just this guy. And it was chosen by the United States government that he would be rescued and sent home. But there was a price that was paid for him to receive that. And this captain wanted Private Ryan to earn the sacrifice that had been offered for him. And then the movie fast forwards to present time and you see an elderly Ryan standing in front of the grave of that captain and his wife is with him. And uh, he, he rushes to his wife and says, tell me that I was a good man. Tell me that I was a good man. He wants reassurance to know that he had earned the price that was paid for his life. Well, that's a similar image to what matters for us. Uh, we are not saved because of what we have done or what we have achieved, but a price has been paid. And we need to reflect that in some way, in the way we live. We cannot look to crucify Jesus and say, well, isn't that nice? He did that for me. I'm just going to live my life the way I want it. Rather, we need to reflect that. Paul elsewhere in his letters uh, talks about the importance of offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, meaning every day, uh, every moment that we live should be an act of worship, how we treat another person, how we help people in need, Uh, the words that we say, uh, the, the ways that we build people up, all of that should be a part of the living sacrifice. Have you ever used your imagination to think about yourself on your deathbed, just to imagine what that is like? I've actually sat at the deathbed of many people. And in those moments, it is really normal for us to think back over our life and say, oh, okay, I have regrets about this, and I wish I had done that, and I wish I had done this. But you know what? When you're on your deathbed, it's too late. But it's not too late right now. Right now, we can make choices about how we're going to live our life. We can choose to go in the right path. We can choose to live a life without regrets, doing the things that we think are important. It is important how we live. It's also important how we die. It is something that is going to happen to every single one of us. We cannot get out of it. It's going to happen. Different people are going to approach that in different ways. Some people are going to experience fear. Maybe it's the fear of the physical pain that might come with death. Maybe it's the fear of just not knowing what that's going to look like. For other people, it's going to be natural that they are longing to be in the presence of Jesus. And that's what we need to remember, that we will stand before Jesus We will stand before Jesus, not just Jesus as our friend, but Jesus Jesus as the righteous judge. We will stand in judgment. But what will the standard be by which we are judged? Well, I'll tell you, we are not going to be judged by the standard of how we compare to Billy Graham or to Mother Teresa. That is not the standard. The standard that we will be judged by is how we did with what God gave us with the opportunities that he gave us, with the resources that he gave us, with the relationships that he gave us, all of those things. That is how we are judged. If we are doing something uh, for God and it looks different from what someone else does, it doesn't matter. It is not a competition between us and others. It's only about how we live with what God has given us. Now, some people have looked at this passage and other passages like this, and have come up with elaborate descriptions of heavenly rewards. And I've heard teachings about how uh, when people get to heaven, some people are going to have a little shack, and some people are going to have a huge mansion, and all this and that. And some people are going to have literal crowns, with, and the more jewels you have, based on, on how much ministry you did, and how effective you were. And I'll tell you, I am very, very skeptical. Of that, I really don't see how that fits with the overall message of the New Testament, and that we are all one in Christ. We are all on the same level. That we are not going to stand uh, before God uh, far below the Apostle Paul or anything else. We will just be there as children of God. That's my belief. You can you can uh, argue with that if you want, and you're, you're you're welcome to disagree with me on that. But I would say. That the the message that Paul is trying to get across here is that there is a crown of righteousness that is offered to us. And that righteousness is not reflecting how good we are, but rather the righteousness that we have received in Jesus Christ through what he has done on the cross. Now, you may have absolutely hated this message. You might might be thinking right now, why are you talking about this? I want to ignore the idea of death. I don't want to think about it. It is depressing. Well, I'm sorry, but the fact is, every one of us, every single person in this room is going to die one day. It is going to happen. The Apostle Paul, he knew that. He was facing that. And he could say in confidence that he had fought the fight, that he had finished the race. Can we say the same thing? Don't wait until your deathbed to realize, wait a minute, I should have done this, I should have done that. I should have uh, uh, made those relationships right. I should have helped that person in need. Uh, I should have spent more time in God's presence. Don't wait for that. Now is your time to make those decisions. The Apostle Paul was able to look at his death and to be at peace. Can we have that same peace? Let us pray. God, we thank you for the Apostle Paul. He served you, he was faithful to you, he used the resources and the opportunities that you gave him for your glory. Lord, we are not the Apostle Paul. We might feel like the things that we do cannot compare, but that's okay because it isn't a contest. We are only called to be faithful to what you have given us. Lord, I pray for those who fear death, that you would give them peace and help them to understand the importance of living each day for you and having confidence that one day we will stand before Jesus, not in fear, but in confidence in who we are in Christ. We pray these things.